Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 22 of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 22. And we are in week three of our awkward series. Um, I always feel kind of funny saying it that way um, because hopefully you're not feeling awkward in the series. And the series itself isn't awkward, if that makes sense. But we're talking about when we try to share our faith, uh, sometimes it can feel very awkward. We don't know how to start. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. Uh, we feel like we're just overwhelmed by the opportunity to share Christ with someone. And sometimes we worry about some things as far as do I say it right? How did I say it? What did I did not do or didn't do right or did do right or whatever? And it gets awkward feeling. So that's what this series is all about. So Acts chapter 22, we're going to read just one verse in just a moment. Uh, and as you're turning there, simple announcement, totally forgot about this. One of our junior church leaders came up to me and told me about this. And so praise the Lord that they remember these things. Um, right after service, if you are serving in our Kingdom Builders class, first through six, we're going to have like a five-minute meeting in the classroom. Real quick five-minute meeting, just kind of informational stuff. And so if you're a part of that ministry, do spend just five minutes right after service uh, joining us together uh, down in the classroom there. And so, uh, again, we'd love just to hear from you for just a few minutes. And so, but this is, as I said, the third week of our Awkward series. And uh, we're going to be looking into the life of the Apostle Paul in the Word of God and discovering that we can find our footing when talking about Jesus. Uh, over the last two weeks, we have discovered that once we have received the gospel of Christ, we are then called and, in fact, commissioned to share that gospel with the world. Paul says it this way, you have been given reconciliation with God, now go share that reconciliation with the world. And I don't know about you, but that can be a pretty weighty thing to, to kind of take on. I mean, think about that. The Christians are to reach the world with the gospel. That's overwhelming when you think about it. That's a lot to put on our shoulders. But it's really not when you think of what Jesus said. What did Jesus say in the Gospels about the Holy Spirit and about what the Spirit would do through us? He said, greater things than I have done, Jesus was speaking, greater things than I have done, you will do. And how in the world can we, even the disciples of that day or disciples of this day, how can we possibly do greater things than what Jesus did? Well, his point was, if you read the context of what he was saying, he's saying, I'm going to give you my spirit, and every believer will be indwelt with the spirit of God so that you can take the word of God when you know Christ, receiving the gospel, you know Christ. Now you, because of the spirit in you, the word before you, you can go to any human being and share the gospel with them. And that's what Jesus meant when he said greater works than this, because when Jesus was on earth ministering, he ministered where he was. He's saying, oh, no, no, but I'm going to use this thing called the church, and it will be the catalyst of global change in the world to come. You see, you have the exact same ability to share Christ with someone as I do. I am not someone that's more uh, gifted, in a sense, to share Christ. Some people may say, well, you can get up and talk in front of people, and I could never do that. That's fine. That's my calling to be a pastor. But nowhere in the Word of God is it a calling from God specifically to share your faith. All believers are encouraged and, in fact, pushed into by the Holy Spirit, encouraged and, 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 and commissioned to share your faith. You can't be a believer and say, well, it's not my calling to share my faith. That doesn't exist in the New Testament. All believers are disciple makers. You have the same Holy Spirit I do. You have the same ability to share Christ that I do. Different opportunities, but the same ability. 
And see, sometimes in the church we've forgotten this. We've elevated gospel sharing evangelism to the pastor, to the teachers, to the deacons, to the really spiritual in the church. So much so, there are individuals in our world today, even in the church as a whole, not just our church, but church in America today, that they think that they're so important that only they can go somewhere and share the gospel. I'll give you an example. I heard a story this week about an evangelist. This guy from, I think he's from Louisiana. He's asking his followers, by not asking his followers, but in fact asking his followers, to donate to his ministry so he can buy a $54 million private jet. And here's the logic. You ready for this one? Because he has to go and preach the gospel to the world. Now, if he wants to get on a plane and go fly to Australia and share the gospel, praise God. But when you listen to this video, and I was listening to his words, it was almost as though he was telling you, you can't go there. No, no, no. I, I have the anointing of God to go, and I need to be able to get there in one stop. That was his logic. If you give money for this $54 million private jet, then I can get there in one stop, and I don't got to spend money on all that jet fuel. And then in the video, he shows you the three private jets that he has owned and the one that he currently owns. It's framed on a wall in his building. Here's the first private jet we bought. Here's the second private jet we bought. Here's the one we're flying now. And he says it this way. This is where I'm telling you guys, be discerning. Just because somebody's on TV does not mean they're biblical. Just because somebody's preaching in front of a church doesn't mean they're biblical. You need to be aware of that. This guy says, you don't want to give? You don't have to give. We're believing God is going to give it to us. He's going to raise the funds. But if you'd like to give, I think you should. But I'm not asking. I'm just saying God's going to do it. And if you want to be a part of God's blessing in your life. That's some good stuff right there. Man, you could sell some cars that way. Tell me, well, I mean, you could make some money. And it just, you know what, honestly, when I was watching it, the first thing I did was I laughed, literally laughed out loud. Because I was like, this guy can't really believe people are going to actually buy this. I guarantee you, in less than a year, that guy could have the money to get this jet. The other thought I had was, I got sick to my stomach. Because I thought to myself, what could God's church do with $54 million to put missionaries in fields all over the world to reach those people? Not one guy showing up for one conference one time in a year. Man, it's amazing to me how we don't... You do not need me to go preach to your neighbors. Now, if I was with you and your neighbor was there, I would love to have a conversation with them about Jesus. But you don't need me to go to your house or your neighborhood or your school or your job. God has gifted you with the Holy Spirit if you know Christ. You can reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be the church. And I referenced that statistic the first week we started this whole series, that there is this change. Barna, in 1993, I believe, did a survey. And then they did the same two questions. They asked again 20 years later, 25 years later, whatever it be. And they found that the number of Christians that felt like it was their personal responsibility to share their faith, that percentage went down. And the number of Christians that said it was the job of the local church to convert people to Christ, that number went up. And there's been a shift in the church in America today where it's not about me sharing my faith. It's more about getting them to church so the pastor can do it. 
And there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. That's great. It, I mean, that's awesome. We got to do that yesterday. Cheryl and I, we talked about this. Those pamphlets that those people got that had all of our ministries in contact, there was a gospel presentation in that pamphlet. And every person that got their money back at the end of the day, some left a little early, so they didn't get one. But I think we figured out roughly three-quarters of the people that were not connected to our church that just came to do the event. They got a pamphlet which gave them the gospel. And I'm so excited that somebody's going to open it up and read that and just be like, wow, I've never thought about it that way before. See, that's what it is to be the church. We're trying to make connections with people. And it's not about just getting them here. It's about you being the church where you are. It's not, it doesn't take place of the church. It's not like, well, I share my faith personally so I don't have to go to church. Or I go to church so I don't have to share my faith personally. It's not an either or. It's a both. We come here to be equipped and to be lifted up and encouraged so we can go out there and do this thing. But let's be real for a minute. It's awkward. It's awkward. When you receive the gospel, you have a desire to share your faith. No matter your background or mistakes, God can and will use you. Let me say that again. No matter your background or your mistakes, God can and will use you when you surrender to him and say, I want to make your name known, not my name known. And as you begin to focus on him that way, man, I'll tell you what. Receive the gospel, and you'll understand what salvation really is. You'll see the power of forgiveness. That will motivate you. Your enemy will try to convince you that you're not good enough to share your faith. Who are you to tell someone that they need to believe in Jesus? Look what you did 20 years ago, 10 years ago, two hours ago. You repent of those things, and you say, God, no, 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 no. I believe you can use me because you're the one really doing this through me. Remember what we said last week? It's not about getting results. You don't convert anyone, by the way. You've not saved one person in your whole life. If you've shared your faith a thousand times and 150 people got saved, you didn't save a one of them. He saved them. You were just the vessel, just the, the mouthpiece of God in that moment. And so stop saying, oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Well, first of all, you're right. You can't do it. That's why you got to rely on him. But it's not about being good enough. You've received Christ. That makes you usable. So we just go. We open our mouth. We share our faith. This morning we're going to be talking about the practical side of sharing our faith. Now that we understand we've received the gospel and that God can use me, I believe that he can use me because it's about him, not me, then where do we really begin practically? Where does the awkwardness come into play? It comes into this stage. You see, we share our faith by telling our story. We share our faith by telling our story. And so what's our story? It's the journey from who you were to who you are in Christ. It's about putting Christ on display. It's about making him known through your story. Before we dive into breaking down this idea, I want to share that relationship is important to connect with someone to be able to share your faith. Trust me on this. There's so much more value than when you get to know someone and then you start to open up to them and they start to open up to you and that's a beautiful opportunity to share your faith. But sometimes there is no relationship. So what do you do? You begin to develop a relationship with the person. Well, how do you do that? You do it the same way you do any other relationship. You get to know them. You find out about them. You ask them questions about themselves. Basically, here's the point. You get to know them to know them, not to convert them. There's a big difference there. So many people, they're so focused on trying to win someone, they think the person's more or less a prize and a trophy than they are a person. Another notch on our spiritual belt. Well, saved another one. Well, get to brag about that on Wednesday night. 
This is what's happened in the fundamental church, if you will. It's more about winning souls. How many did you get this week, brother? And it's all good to praise God for souls that were saved. But if I'm the one on display and I'm the one being glorified, man, it's the wrong focus. It's about getting to know another human being that God loves so much that he gave his life for. And you just want to, man, I just want you to know that. Let me just get to know you as a person. Man, I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you're saying right now. So many times we, 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 we don't show the same respect for another human being that we ask of ourselves. Well, they don't believe like I believe. So what? There's still a human being that Christ died for. Well, you're not going to believe what they said. Who cares? I mean, do they know Jesus? Well, I don't think so. Well, then start there. We're so busy trying to change people's behavior and attitudes and habits before we start looking at the heart of the person and just get to know them. That's why I love what Renee shared. It's not about just this outward change, just starting outward working in. No, 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 that never works. How many people have found out that trying to change the inside by changing the outside first doesn't work? Raise your hand. How many of you have found that when you let God change you on the inside, it changes the outside and that lasts? Amen. Man, we try to do this all the time. We try to modify behavior. Just be good. Just be a good blah, 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 blah. No, I get to know them. But let's be real for a minute. At your job, you got a 15-minute break, and you bump into a coworker who's having a hard time. They just found out their spouse has cancer, and you got 15 minutes. Do not unload your whole story in 15 minutes on their lap. And then go, do you want to get to know Jesus? Because their mind, they're not there right now. You know what you do? You take every situation. It's not this black and white thing. It's kind of, you just kind of look at every situation. Okay, God, how would you use me in this moment to share my story and or share your faith with them? So maybe you start off by saying this. Hey, listen, I heard about what's going on. How can I pray for you? And how can I serve you? And then now you've made a connection with that person. Now it's not just about work. It's about a person. And then you wait maybe a few days or a week, and you go up to them. You make the point of going back to that person and saying, hey, I've been really praying for you, and name their spouse. How's that going? How are things going with that? How are you doing? See, I think so often we're so busy trying to convert someone that we're not showing genuine care for the person. What does James chapter 2 say about someone that's naked and destitute of daily food? Hey, I have nothing. And you go, hey, I'll be praying for you. Peace, be filled. Be warm. But nothing for their situation. What good is that? He said, it's no good at all. And invest in the person. Care for the person. Now, there may be an opportunity that you do have somewhat of a relationship, and the person asks you about your faith. Man, now, kind of like all bets are off. You just kind of share it. Man, listen, I just want to let you know how much God has changed my life. And you just begin to share the wonder of God's grace and mercy and the gospel. But listen, don't stop short. So often we present a gospel that's half-hearted and we don't remind them of things like sin and penalty and consequence and hell. See, in the modern church today, you don't talk about hell. Mm-mm, no, that'll turn people off. Well, then Jesus turned off a whole lot of people in his gospel ministry. It's not, now, here's the thing. We don't have to start with hell. I call those the turn and burn preachers. You know what I'm saying? You better turn or you're going to burn. And don't say that with a smile on your face. Okay? With a little giggle afterwards. 
That's not appealing. Nobody likes that guy, okay? But it's part of the equation. It's part of the picture. I love, and I, I think it was Jonathan Edwards, and I'm forgetting now for sure who it was, but I think it was Jonathan Edwards that said, if you preach 90% sickness and 10% cure, the cure becomes a lot more appealing. What he's saying is this. People have to know they have a need before they're willing to receive a Savior. And so that's part of your, you, you just share all of that. And it, you might say, well, give me a formula. Give me A, B, C, D. There is no such thing. Read the life of Christ in the Gospels. Man, at one point he started here. At one point he started there. At one point he was over here. He just kind of always shared the same message, but he, he tailored it to that individual person, where they were in their life. And so how do you do that? You get to know people where they are. Look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 22. we got to hurry. Acts chapter 22 and verse 6. See, in all of this, we share our story. Paul says this in Acts 22, 6. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh into Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I heard, or I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now what's this, what Paul's doing here? What's he doing? He's reminding them of what? His story. You go back to Acts chapter 9. We looked at it already. But you go back to Acts chapter 9 and you read what Paul's talking about. That moment he came face to face with Christ. And so where does your story start? Man, Paul says, I was, I was doing this thing. I was on my way to Damascus. And then I met Jesus. And so I tell people, man, where were you as you were leading up to Christ? And how did you meet Christ? Paul just is getting into his story. Many Christians know and want to share their story, but they fall into one of two camps. Not always, but often they fall into one of two camps. Many Christians fall into two ends of a spectrum when it comes to telling their story. Either my story is so full of mistakes and wrongs that I am embarrassed to tell it. Or... I don't have a story because I grew up in a Christian home and you wish you had a better story. That, that's, in my experience in church, going to Bible college, sitting in chapel twice a week, this is what I've gathered. My story is so full of mistakes and so bad, I don't want to share it because it's embarrassing. I've never done anything really wrong. I've never been a drug dealer, an alcoholic, a murderer. I've never done any of that stuff. I grew up in a Christian home. I wish I had a better story. And it just blows my mind how we fall into one of those two camps. So let's break this down a little bit. And then in a little bit, we're going to actually hear some stories. And I'm really excited about that. So I want to get through this kind of part of it so we can get to that as well. Because I want you to hear these stories that are going to be shared this morning. So my story. My story is too bad to share. If you're in that camp or you think that, that there's stuff in your story that you just could never share because it's just too bad. This is the person that either came to Christ after making some really bad decisions in life and now regrets deeply who they were. Or it is the person that knew Christ and sinned in horrible ways and now feels guilty for the time they lost being prodigal. While I understand the fear of what others may think of you when you share, I believe when you stand and declare for the grace of God that it is that powerful, that it could save you and redeem you, that it reached even you where you were, that glorifies God. The issue that arises sometimes is people either don't say enough They don't say enough of the change that God made in them or they focus too much on who they used to be before they surrendered to Christ. I've heard testimonies where people sounded more proud of their sin than of the grace that made them new. 
Some speak of sinful past as though they long for those days. And I believe the key is balance and a clear focus on why you're sharing. The point is to make people aware that grace and love are available for them right where they are in their lives. The partier or the goody two-shoes. So what needs to be shared with that person right where they are in their life? That's what you share. So here's my point. We don't spend 45 minutes sharing about how horrible we were with almost this sense of longing, almost a sense of pride, almost a sense of that somehow validates or justifies us. And then we throw in there, and then I got saved at 16, and God is so good. And people go, man, he sounds like he's more proud of his sin than he is of Jesus. And because testimonies tend to be that way when people have really rough pasts, and they focus more on their sinful past than on the present of Christ, other people in the audience are going, I could never, I don't have a story like that. Man, that's how God changes someone's life. That's life change. I wish I had a testimony like that. And we're just kind of fostering this idea that we think this is somehow what it's supposed to be like. No, 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 no. The key in every time you tell your story is to connect with this person in a way that is real and genuine and glorifies God that they might come to know Christ. My story is too bad to share. Well, let me remind you, you don't have to give every detail. And in fact, I encourage you not to. But always remember that your sinful past, when forgiven, glorifies the Father's grace, not your past. If your focus is on his grace, your words will reflect that truth. My story is too bad to share. There's no such thing. You don't have to give every gory detail. And again, I would encourage you not to, depending on the situation. But as you're building a relationship with somebody, what's one of the greatest blessings of a relationship with another human being? For the men in here that have a, a, a guy friend that is just like a brother, that, man, you, could just, you just are always together. And even when you don't see each other for 10 or 15 years, you just pick it up right where you were. What's the blessing of that relationship? For those two guys, when they come together, there's this, and guys hate this word, but intimacy. There's this inner connection. We just know each other so well. And guess what that does? That forms a bond. And then they're there for each other and they share. How about the ladies in here? Do you have any girlfriends that you could just go to with anything? Because there's this bond because you've just been so open and honest. That's what we're talking about here. It's just this transparency among the church where we're not worried about people gossiping about us. We're more important, or it's more important to be share the gospel of Christ. And we're promoting him and his faith and his grace in our lives. My story is too bad to share. No, it's not. How about I don't have a story worth sharing? Maybe most in this room would fall into this category. I don't have a story worth sharing. This is the mindset that says, because I was saved at six and was never a really bad person, I don't have anything to share. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I've heard people tell me this. Why would I share my testimony? I've never done anything bad. Wow, okay. What's their mindset as far as what a testimony looks like? I truly believe this is a lie that because you grew up in a church or a Christian home that you don't have a testimony. I don't know when it happened in the church, but it's almost treated as a negative stigma to have grown up in the church. There's, I've talked to people. It's almost like when they say they grew up in the church, they say it kind of like, yeah, I grew up in church. Oh, yeah, you know, I didn't really want to, but. It's almost like this negative mindset around this idea that I grew up in church. There is this mindset that when you grow up in a strong Christian home, and then when you turn 18, that you need to now go out and learn what the real world is like. i got to go make some mistakes. i got to go experience life because I was sheltered as a child in my Christian home. I'm going to be honest with you. This could be the most ridiculous and ignorant thing I have ever heard in my life. 
How is it intelligent at any level to say, I need to go make some mistakes to experience life? And by the way, you might think, no one really says that. I'm quoting someone that I know that told me that they need to go out and live life and make mistakes. How is that living life? I see that as something that's robbing you of life. When you willfully go into a situation, well, I got, you know, I've never experienced that before. You know, I've never been tased before by a police officer. <laughs> Surprising enough as that may sound to some of you. You'd think Bill would have got me by now, but he hasn't. But I can tell you something, honestly. I don't need to experience that because I'm just What is it like to get tased? I'm good on that. I'm all right on that. I will just... I've seen videos of people being tased because I may watch cops from time to time. And that's enough for me. I don't need to experience that, okay? But this is the mindset so many people, Christians have this. It's negative to grow up in the church. Are you kidding me? It is not a negative thing to have a Christian heritage. I believe that there is such a blessing in a heritage of faith that is passed from generation to generation. And to be honest, I wish I grew up in a Christian home. I don't know what it's like to be a kid going home from junior church and telling my parents all that I learned about Jesus and them rejoicing with me. I don't know what that's like. But man, when I hear people or I see people today, we have parents in our church right now, grandparents that are so investing in their kids, not just to be a great sports player or a great academic student, because by the way, those things fade and pass. Let me say that again. Academics and athletics will fade and pass. Let's say you have a child that makes it to the pros. That's 10 to 15 years, depending on the sport, that they get to actually play that sport professionally, if they're good enough. Most, most, I think I just heard that less than 2% of Division I collegiate athletes make it to the professional level. That's crazy. But so many parents invest so heavily in athletics and academics, and I'm all about getting a good education, and if you enjoy sport, go have fun with it, that's fine. But where does spiritual investment rate? Do you know your job as a parent and a grandparent is not biblically to teach them to play the best baseball they can play? That is nowhere on the spectrum of biblical parental guidelines. But it is, however, on, your, on that spectrum to invest in them spiritually, to nurture them in the things of the Lord that they would grow into a young man and a young woman that loves God. That's your job description. And if that takes place in the academic sense or in the athletic sense, that's fine. That's part of it but not, for the, not in spite of it or not in lack of the other. See, I, I love when I see our kids, I say our kids, I mean the church kids, running down this hallway. Some of you are like, they shouldn't be running in church. We know that. We talk to them, but they're seven, eight years old. They run in when they get out of that chair because they've been sitting for like 30 minutes because Pastor John can't be quiet. When they come running in and they're just so excited about what they learn and see parents just just kind of falling all over them and encourage them in the Lord. Man, I love that. You see, no matter where you are in this spectrum, if you grew up in a Christian home, you have a story to tell. Whether your story is too bad or you think you have no story, it's yours. It's unique to you and God, so share it. In order for us to understand this idea a little bit better, I want to have a couple people share their story with us this morning. And I know we're getting long on time, and so I don't want them to feel pressured for that. You share what the Lord has laid on your heart. But I want them to come and share in just a moment. And when they share their story, I hope it helps you to understand that's what it looks like to share your story. That's what it sounds like. So I'm going to have Danielle and TJ uh, Bornice, and they're going to come to the platform. 
and they're going to share just a little bit with you. And then following them, uh, Carol is going to come and share just a few things with us and just kind of share their story about how God has worked and is working in their life. So I want you guys to listen to these stories. Hello. Most of you here probably already know me just because I have grown up in the church and around here, especially with my uncle being the pastor before. Um, But what I wanted to share with you this morning is just a brief little bit about my life. Um, Because I grew up in the church, I have been around plenty of Bible stories and plenty of teachings from many different people in my life, including my parents, but um, I have also experienced a lot of loss, (laughs) as many of you know, Um, so that's a huge part of my story, Um, was losing my dad (laughs) at a young age, and um, that kind of just started a lot of loss in our family, (laughs) but um, I got angry with God for taking him, and... (laughs) from our family and leaving us without a dad for so long. And it's something that I still struggle with today, but um, thankfully I had a youth pastor and a youth pastor's wife who really loved me and cared about me and um, really invested in my life. And even though I fought it as hard as I could, they just kept praying for me and um, really making sure that I felt loved and cared for even when I didn't want it. So about my junior or senior year of high school, uh, things really started to change for me, and I I really believe it was the prayer of them and my mom and everyone else that cared for me at that time. And I felt my heart start to kind of soften towards um, just coming back to Christ, because of course I was saved at a young age, but um, that anger really just kind of turned me away from really wanting to hear what the Lord had for me. So through prayer, I finally did start to feel myself hunger for God and want to be back in his presence and need him in my life. And I saw that everything else I was turning to, all of the bad decisions I was making, wasn't fulfilling me the way I needed it to. I needed Christ. Um, And so that's kind of when things started to change for me. And uh, I went off to a Christian college. And um, even today, it's just, it's a lot about, knowing who to run to when I have experienced the bad things in life. Because we all have things that happen to us that we didn't choose, and we really just hate that it happens to us. And we get angry, or we resent God, and we blame him. But ultimately, we really have to just run to him and rely on him, because without him, life's hard. (laughs) So, um, And I truly believe Romans 8.28 has really been a verse for me in my life. Uh, It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Um, That's really special to me because I know that uh, through losing all of the people that I've lost and all of the other things that have happened to me personally and my family, God has worked it together. And I've even been able to see recently in my personal life with a very close friend of mine that God is using this hard time in my life to help her. And even though it's hard to see a friend go through that. It's a blessing that he wants to use me in her life um, and be able to encourage and minister to her as she goes through something that I had to go through. So 
And I know I won't know everything or all the reasons why God chose to allow that to happen, but I have hope that I'll see those people I love one day and that um, I can say that God used me because I was open to it and relied on him and trusted in him to use me. So I guess I just wanted to, to start with, you guys probably know less about me than you do of Danielle. Um, and I say y'all because I'm from Virginia, so you have to bear with me a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I typically, uh, I feel like I fall more in that area where, John, you said, you know, folks don't feel like they have a story to share. And I've fallen into that. Uh, and the Lord has really had to stretch me and grow me in ways to be comfortable with, with standing here because... As you all know, too, I probably feel a whole lot more comfortable not on this side of things. So, uh, you know, my, my story really comes, you know, I, I accepted uh, Jesus when I was five. I was raised in a, in a Christian home, uh, and praise God for that. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's such a blessing, and I think it, just like John said, you know, it, it's, it's looked down upon these days, and, you know, it, it's really sad, but, but I do truly praise God for that. Um, you know, but growing up, you know, I went to church, I said, I believed in Jesus, but I, but it really didn't shape who I was. It really didn't influence my life in, in the way, uh, that, that it really, you know, showed itself in, in the way that I lived my day to day. So going through, through, uh, high school, you know, I, I really started to find my identity in stuff and in, and in relationships. And it was, uh, it, it was very, very difficult for me because neither of those things were fulfilling. And I wasn't finding that fulfillment in Jesus where I needed to be finding it. So come uh, uh, in probably senior year of high school, I also went to a Christian school. And it was tough for me to make the decision to go to Liberty uh, because it was just, you know, oh, he's just another kid that's going to Liberty. Um, you know, just going off to a Christian college. And it was, it was difficult because that was just the easy thing. But uh, I, I applied to four or five schools in Virginia and was accepted to those. Uh, but I just kept feeling the Lord pulling me back to liberty and saying, this is where you need to be. Don't worry about the stigma that comes with that. Make the choice. Go to liberty and trust me. So I, I made that decision. And uh, after, after I was there, um, really, I was challenged my freshman year uh, to, to find my identity in, in something else, in, in that thing being Jesus. So throughout my, my freshman year, I started down that path, and it wasn't really until my sophomore year I met uh, who is still my best friend today. His name's Bobby. And he really helped me to, to, to grow into the person that I am today where I do find that identity in Jesus, and I do lean and trust on him. Um, but it, I really, really credit the Lord's leading me to liberty and, and really having a structure in place where I could be discipled day in and day out uh, very directly uh, to learn that. So um, come uh, end, end of uh, uh, sophomore year, um, you know, I had really matured in a way that I wasn't finding my identity there. So uh, really, my, my life first that I've said is my life first for my entire life was Galatians 2.20. 
uh, which says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I tell you, it, it wasn't probably until the end of my sophomore year that I truly got what that means. And I really understood what the Lord was trying to do through me. Uh, so letting go of that identity in those other things, um, you know, really, really showed itself. Um, and then beginning of junior year, Danielle and I met. Uh, and um, that's how I'm standing here today. So, um, uh, but, but that's my story. And, and I wanted uh, to, uh, to also tell a little bit about Danielle and I's story. Uh, so we're going to skip a few years there. Um, you know, we obviously are, are married now and um, uh, through, through a lot of prayer and, and, uh, and our friends too, um, being, being very, very important in those things. But uh, so, Danielle, do you want to start? Uh, sure. Um, so we were married probably about maybe a year or two, and we had discussed that we were going to be in Virginia for a little while and eventually maybe move back up here. But about two years into our marriage, um, I was very unhappy where the Lord had me. Um, I was in a job that I felt was not my passion. It was I was not fulfilling what I felt the Lord was calling me to do in that. And um, he was in a very difficult situation at job, not the best. And um, we just both were kind of just kind of going day to day and just pushing through as best we could. And I felt the Lord kind of starting to lead me about praying about coming up here sooner. And of course, that was hard for me to tell him because I'm like, well, my family's up there and it's going to sound like I just want to be with them. But I did feel the Lord starting to lead us to kind of think about that and start praying through that. And um, in that, I, I found a job first and I moved up here and he did not. And that was a very tough, I think, three months, three months. Yeah. Very tough for us because we were only married for two years. So it wasn't very easy to be apart that far apart for that long. Um, and I know he really struggled with that because he felt like we we're making a snap decision and we you know, weren't going to find a job for him. And then what we were going to do, because, you know, he had the financial of our relationship on his, on his shoulders. And I know that was really tough for him to be able to say, okay, I'm going to trust God. He's going to provide for us. Um, I, I more so grew up just believing that because being a pastor's daughter, I mean, that's, you live by prayer and like miracles from other people. So for me, I'm like, just trust God. It's no big deal. And he's like, uh, no, we need money to pay bills. Yeah, but I struggle with that a bit. Yeah, I'll so be I'm like, but it's gonna happen because I saw it, and he didn't understand that because he grew up differently than me. But um, the Lord really showed His hand in that. You know, He's now at the job that He will, you know, by the Lord's hand, hopefully be there for a very, very long time. Has great Christian men that He works with, which is a huge blessing. Um, I know that He feels like He is called to be back there, and I know that's huge for us because um, He's felt it's been hard for him to get back into that because of his past with other churches kind of abusing that gifting that he has. Um, so it's been great for him to be up there and just feel, you know, that the Lord's calling him here to that. And um, now I'm in a position that I absolutely love and I get to work with kids every day and that's awesome. And it's so much fun to see God use me in the way that he called me. And I think you would probably say the same where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the one thing that I wanted to say, uh, just to, to wrap that up, is, you know, 
we really had to trust in God's perfect timing because in, in my mind, there was never going to be a right time. And if we hadn't said, okay, you know, God, I'm just going to let this go and I'm going to trust you, we wouldn't be standing here today and who knows where, where we would be. So, um, you know, and I, I go back to finding my identity in Christ was so critical in those three months we were apart um, because I saw how the Lord took and shaped me in that way. Whereas if he wouldn't have, and I wouldn't have allowed that, still looking for my identity in a relationship uh, would have made those, those three months unbearable. So um, that's our story. Carol's going to come at this time, and uh, she's going to share just briefly with you her story as well. And, uh, and just listen to this, and allow the Lord to continue to speak to your heart. Ooh, okay, first of all, I see how this goes. Um, first, he brings up the kids raised in church, then the heathen. <laughs> exactly part of his message today. And for those of you that know me, I won't talk too long, I promise, because of the sake of time. And um, I could write a book, so I won't even touch on every chapter today. But um, I am Chris's sister, Chris and Rick Fox. You see, she knew I was getting up here today, so she disappeared. <laughs> I, and I'm glad because I'd probably start crying if I saw her. There's certain ones of you that I really don't want to look into your face this morning because you know part of my story. And <laughs> no fair, Danielle had her husband up here, but <sighs> okay, I'll get through this. We were raised Catholic, and uh, I don't want to say anything bad about any religion, but let's just say as a teenager... I got nothing out of it. I was a rebel, and I just said, whew, you know what? Nothing in here for me, bunch of hypocrites. You go through the ritual, and you, you, know, you go to church on Sunday and party and live like the devil the rest of the week. I did pick up on that early on, and I'm not saying everybody is like that, but we were not encouraged to open the Bible. We weren't good enough. Um, every Sunday was the same thing. I knew when to stand, sit, squat, kneel, and repeat after me kind of thing, so it really was empty. Um, that was just my experience. Again, I think... They've come a long way. I'm not saying there's no Christians in church or Catholic churches, but that's, for me, I got nothing out of it. So the first time I did accept the Lord, I say the first time because I always believed you can lose your salvation. I'm rethinking all this, and <laughs> thank God for Pastor John and others, but it was basically because I didn't want to go to hell. I'm like, whoa, this is a no-brainer, you know, <laughs> either accept Christ and you get a free ticket to paradise or you burn. I mean, who, like, I'm telling you, every Sunday, Pastor John speaks directly to me. So anyways, but prior to that, the first time I really believed there was a God, he did supernaturally save me from suicide. I was 18, and uh, that's a whole other story. But I'm kind of putting teasers out there in case I ever do finish my book. Um, I also want to thank everybody for prayers for my son, who was deployed right now in a combat zone over in Egypt in the Sinai Peninsula. Um, without God and, and a church family, I don't know where I'd be because that's just one of the trials I've been going through lately. But he's saved through and through and knows where he's going should the Lord take him. Of course, I'm praying he doesn't. Um, but there's been a lot of heavy trials in my life lately. And so if you guys always see me crying, I'm not a wreck. I'm being refined, okay? I'm under construction. And God's preparing me, I believe, for something else. So when I'm bawling every Sunday when you guys are doing praise and worship or you see me running out the back door, I really am okay. But I appreciate the prayers and support of those here that I know love me. I'm going to try not to cry, but briefly in my life right now, um, I should say, let me throw something else in there. 
pretty much the woman at the well is my story, and I do think God's going to take me in a direction of a ministry or maybe speaking at uh, some women's functions in that regard because I know many women, married or not, have been in broken relationships. It leaves you wounded, broken. Uh, I already struggled with low self-esteem, so some of these relationships have just about finished me off. But God, there's always God. He's, he's my man. So recently, the love of my life with skin on failed me. I say the love of my life was skin on because Jesus is the love of my life. He's the one that has never failed me. In Psalms, God's word says that man will let you down, but I will never let you down. And I'm not offending any men here. I get it. There's a lot of good guys out here, but that's God's word, not mine. Um, But if you ladies have a good man in your life, you better let him know it because there's a lot out there that are not, that will deceive you and Although I believe the Bible, you can find every answer you need for life and life decisions. Um, You better ask the Holy Spirit what he has for you and don't make a decision with your own head and your own heart because just because something's okay in the word doesn't mean that's what God has for you particularly. So you better pray specifically, Lord, what do you have for me in my life? And maybe there's going to be a time of being single or alone. I'm mostly struggling with the aloneness. But anyhow... um, What I was going to also tell you is, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping. I I had no notes. I just scribbled down this morning. I'm like, yep, I think I can do this without crying. (laughs) So I just have to say, whether you have a man with skin on or you don't, so this is mostly for the ladies, the one man we can't live without is Jesus. And, And even for you men, you can't live without Jesus. I mean, he's your mentor, right? So I thank God that I have roots, um, you know, that, uh, that go deep, (laughs) better. I've, I've, I've been through a lot, and it's all because it's part of God's plan for me. Um, feast or famine, I happen to be a realtor, so uh, anyone that knows my line of work, it, it is feast or famine. Many times God's kept me on an even keel, and I'm like, yay, you are my provider. Thank you for that, Lord. But most recently, I had a, a huge feast time, and I'm like, okay, what's this all about? I didn't know that my husband was going to be basically getting rid of me. He basically told me that I, um, I liked the bad boy image, but I didn't fit the part. Well, I'm not claiming that I like the bad boy image, but as far as not fitting the part, I said, thank you. That's a compliment, and I will never adjust who I am to satisfy any man, husband or otherwise, and go against God's word. So here I am. <laughs> um, thank you, Lord, for never, never leaving me. So anyhow, what happened is with this feast time, I didn't know. I was wondering what was going on. Well, I didn't know a week ago that I was going to be where I'm at today. So I see that he provided ahead of time. And I think of the scripture in Matthew 6, 8, where he said, my father knows your needs before you even ask. Well, guess what? He was already planning and preparing and said, I know you're going to get to this point. So back here when I'm totally clueless, he was already preparing and paving a way because Had I been dumped and I had zero in the bank account, I would have been freaking out a little bit. So I just thank God he knew all this. And he said, here you go. This is going to get you through. I'm in the middle of renovating a house that needs more work than not. So I thank you, Lord, for your provisions. And I I do have to say to Renee and Julie, I'm afraid to say I'm going to start praying for you guys because I might end up with you. But I'm just going to tell you that I believe for your ministry and anybody else that has anything the Lord has laid on your heart, He's already meeting your provisions. He's already providing. He's already ahead of you. He's already there. So do what the Lord's telling you in your heart to do, and he will not fail you. He will not let you down. And I just hope on some note that might have touched someone today to encourage you to keep going.
for God. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Thank you. Amen. I wanted them to share today, and I wanted you to hear their hearts today. I wanted you to hear how the Lord is dealing in life. Because when you start sharing your story, here's the reality of it. No one's life is perfect. And we've all got something going on at different times. We've all got things that we're wading through, things that are just messy at times. And I love that the Lord is constant through all of it. And so my final challenge to you this morning, and we're going to wrap it up right here. I, we're going to have the guys come and lead us in just a, a short invitation um, and, and just a quick time of prayer. But I want to challenge you. Will you share your story this week? Will you share your story with someone this month? Will you open your mouth and begin to build relationships and be vulnerable with another human being that they might come to know the saving knowledge of Christ? They might be able to see God in you. And if you're really not sure where to start, think of it this way. Start with where you were. Start with how you, then lead to how you came to know Christ, how Christ began to inner work in your life. And then talk about where has God led you to this point? How has he changed you and shaped you and molded you and changed your heart, changed your desires, changed your thinking? We're all on this journey of improvement. And I love what she said. We're all under construction. And so share how God is just shaping you. And so I want you to think about that this morning. Who will you share your story with? How will God use you to share your faith, to tell someone that God loves them so much that Jesus died for them on the cross and that they could find eternal life through Christ? And how does your story fit in that? Because when you share your story, it really over time becomes his story. It's his glory on display. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. Would we, actually we're going to stand and we're going to bow our heads and stand. I'm going to have the band come and they're going to lead us in just a short invitation. Um, and I know I'm changing things up on them, but just for time's sake, I'm going to have you stand right there. Where you are. Bow your heads right there where you are. And as they come, uh, I want to just spend a moment or two in prayer and ask God, God, give me the strength to open my lips. It's so important we live our faith, but it's even equally important that we share our faith. We don't do one in spite of the other. We do one with the other. And so however God is speaking to you, as you just right there where you are, Lord, would you speak to us this morning, help us to share our truth, or the truth, rather, of how you changed. Lord, would you just speak this. Lord, as we sing this, this verse and this chorus together, I pray that we would mean it in the prayer of our hearts, that we'd be used by you to see you do great things. We love you, Father. May you speak to us freely. We need you to give us the strength and the boldness to say what we need to say and to speak what we need to speak when the opportunity comes. And thank you for all the ways you use us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing this verse and this chorus together as we lift our hearts as a prayer this morning?